mates. And so um, it's great to catch up. There are people in your lives who will always be in your lives, aren't there? And that's the case for Kim and Michael Gates. So great to be with you. Great to be able to uh, share with you. Just imagine that we're all gathered and we've heard about Jesus and we're kind of followers of Jesus and here we are and the first written gospel turns up at the men's Bible study. You see, the first written gospel came some years after there were followers of Jesus and the church had been formed. And the first written gospel, probably Mark's gospel, turns up and we've all been going for 20, 25 years. We say, wow, here's the gospel, let's read it. Let's see what you know, the gospel says and let's see how it affirms our faith. And as we were reading the gospel, we realised that there are eight verses which we read that change everything. Eight verses. That's all that change everything. See, the pattern is, you've read up to, we've sung about it, Mark chapter 11. And when you get to Mark chapter 11, you read about something that people would understand. You read about a victorious march. It's called a victory march. The people of those days were used to victory marches. And the victory marches, uh, thanks John, would be marches where people actually see a general or an emperor who's been victorious riding into town. And often they would take days to prepare for the victory march. The, the general would stay outside of the town, perhaps even for a week, until it was time to come in. And when he would come into town with all his soldiers and, and all his followers, you know, the crowds would gather and they'd cry out and sing and celebrate. Well, of course, in Mark chapter 11, you've got the victory march. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. You know, they're taking off their coats and they're laying them on the road and people are crying out, Hosanna. And here we are reading together and think, wow, this is the Jesus we know. The victory march. This is the one we follow. And then you get to Mark chapter 15. And you know the truth of this story. But you've gone from the victory march to the death march. And they were also very much aware of this. And this is where those who had been vanquished, those who would be defeated, would have to carry their form of execution and they'd have to take it to the point that they were going to be executed. And they'd often have a sign that they were taking as well. Uh, there was going to be put on the cross or their form of execution indicating what their crime was. And so you get to Mark chapter 15 as we read together. Yes, the victory march is gone. We're now watching the death march. The death march of this Jesus. And readers will be familiar with both. Where does it finish? We're following someone who's victorious or we're following someone who is defeated. Now, if Mark had finished at chapter 15, you and I would not be here today. <coughs> you and I would not be celebrating 61 years. You and I would not be followers of Jesus. As someone put it, if, if the story had finished at Mark chapter 15, Jesus wouldn't have even been alive in human history. If it finished at the cross, there is no church. 
If these eight verses are not in Mark's gospel, it's all over, folks. There is no faith. There is no 61-year anniversary. There is no point to it. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. We still live in our sins. These eight verses change everything. The world has never been the same again. A couple of years ago, what a program called Q&A that appears on Monday nights on the ABC television, and uh, most of us have decided to turn off Q&A, but I'm sure there's still some that watch it. But on Q&A, do you know the program where Tony Jones has normally, you know, four people sympathetic to his ideas and one that, that isn't. Uh, but on Q&A, uh, a few years ago, it was on at the same time as the um, Dangerous Idea Conference was taking place in Sydney. And one of the guests, and the guest that was kind of, you know, not in Tony Jones's camp, one of the guests was by, by the name of Peter Hitchens. You might have seen him. Peter was an atheist. Uh, his brother, who died recently, is one of the best, was one of the best-known atheists, Christopher Hitchens. And Peter came to faith. Peter became a leading Christian. He is evangelical. And he turned to become a follower of Jesus. He turned his atheism aside. And so Tony Jones is asking the panel, what's the world's most dangerous idea? We're here for the Dangerous Idea Festival. Let's, let's finish our program of Q&A and let, all, let, let us all share what is the, you know, the world's most dangerous idea. And when it got to Peter, he said, okay, Peter, what's the world's most dangerous idea? And Peter said, oh, that's simple. The world's most dangerous idea is that 2,000 years ago, a person called Jesus died, buried, and rose again because if the resurrection happened, it transforms everything. You and I are part of the world's most dangerous idea. Those eight verses declare the world's most dangerous idea. How is it dangerous? Look at Mark 16, verse 2. You know how sometimes you can read, you know, you, you read verses and you kind of jump over them and you, you don't stop and think about the verse too much? Well, Mark 16, verse 2 you read that on the first day of the week, the women go to the tomb. The first day of the week. Who's there? Salome, who we know, is Jesus' aunt, mother of James and John. Mary Magdalene, remember, you're going to read in Luke 8, that Jesus healed her of demons and the like. And there's another Mary, and the other Mary is, is simply... Um, the mother of James. Not that James wrote the gospel, wrote the epistle, but another James. These three women go to the tomb on the first day of the week. Now that's a time mark, it tells you, you know, Sunday. But you know all the gospels in their resurrection appearances say on the first day of the week. It's not just a time mark. Think about it. On the first day, God created. 
It's a key play back to Genesis chapter 1. They're in the garden. They're going to the garden. They're going to meet the gardener in John's gospel. They're in the garden. This is playing out Genesis chapter 1. On the first day of the week, God created. And what did he do on the first day of the week? Light started to break into the chaos and the darkness. That's why the Gospels have you sometimes going off in the dark, but the light's coming. You know, others, you know, sometimes tell the story a little bit further on, but as they're going to the tomb, light breaks in. This is the first day of the week. This is the first day of the week. First day of the week. First day of the week. You and I are first day of the week people. It means this is the first day of the new creation, the new order. This is the first day of the new people, the new covenant. This is the first day of the people of God. This is the first day of the week. The world was never the same. This is the first day of schools, education, hospitals, transformation, forgiveness of sin. This is the first day of the week. I heard Tim Costello, many of you know from World Vision, say that in Australia, over 90% of all the NGOs and charities were begun by Christians. Education, begun by Christians. This is transformation of communities and societies. This is transformation of individual lives. This is forgiveness of sin. This is taking on evil and darkness and structures in the name of Jesus. This is a taste of what is to come in his resurrection the first day of the week. No wonder they were fearful and trembling. The first day of the week. That's why it's the world's most dangerous idea. And as we celebrate 61 years, we don't celebrate that we just come here and worship on a Sunday. We just don't celebrate that, uh, you know, we do things together. We celebrate that we are part of God's new order. God's way of setting the world right. God's taste of the kingdom that is now but is yet to come. We are his salt and his light. We are the first day. Who's invited to be part of the first day of the week? It's interesting what this passage tells you. Who goes to the tomb? The women? Where are the men? Hiding. 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 And if actually you look carefully at Mark, you'll see that he tells you in Mark 15.40, it's the women who see the execution of Jesus. In Mark... 1547, it's the women who see the burial of Jesus. And in Mark 16.2, it's the women who go to the tomb. Now, I used to be a lawyer, and let me tell you, if you want evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15.3-5 sets it out for you. Christ died, buried, resurrection, resurrected. Who are the group that can give that unbroken chain women the women and in those days women weren't allowed to give evidence in a court of law and the Jewish historian Lepid says the fact that the women are so mentioned here and they are the ones of the prime witnesses you know is a ring of truth if you're going to make this up you'd make sure it was the men oh Peter was there or somebody else was there no it's the women remember what Paul says in Galatians 3.28, 
there is no male, there is no female, there is no rich, there is no poor. Remember what he says? There is no Greek, there is no Jew. The three forms of discrimination in Paul's day were race, gender and economics. And guess what? The world hasn't changed. <laughs> and what's been said in this first day of the week, the kingdom is open to all. The kingdom is open to all. The children who had no place in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, let them come unto me. Now that doesn't mean the church doesn't have standards and morals and boundaries which we need to proclaim. We all know that. But the message of the gospel goes out and people's ability to be part of the kingdom and included in the kingdom goes out to all, irrespective of gender or race or background. Sometimes we, you know, we just skip over the fact that in a church celebrating 61 years, all of us have been given a gift of the Holy Spirit. All of us can minister as we've seen today. That wasn't known in Jesus' world. It was only the, only the elite that had values. The only the elite that have gifts. It was only the elite that was saw, seen to be significant. But in the coming of the first day of the week, everybody received gifts. And in fact, the one who might be the slave might be the leader of the church where the Lord of the slaves actually came and his role was to put away the chairs. This is revolutionary. Revolutionary. Who can come in? Anyone. And I just pray this church has the, the courage and the strength and the, uh, and, and the insight and the wisdom that Martin has shared about taking the gospel into our world. I just hope you have that same passion. I'm sure you do. But how can we be certain? Okay, Ross, it's dangerous. It's significant. My gosh, you're asking us to put a lot on the resurrection of Jesus. How can we be certain? It's always been the same. If you read every sermon in the book of Acts, every talk in the book of Acts, the church always said, how can you be certain? How can you be certain, crowd? How can you be certain, Jews or Greeks? How can you be certain that this is the one to follow? How can you be certain? You can be certain because his death and resurrected, resurrection was predicted by the prophets and you can be certain because we are witnesses. We've seen it. This is not just something in our heart. This is not just a Harry Potter story we want to believe. This is actually historically true. We can be certain. I, I tell the story often, but I was on a radio program for many years in Sydney. And at the end of that radio program, a woman wrote to me uh, and said, Ross, you talk a lot about the resurrection, and I believe in it, and I believe you wrote a little track called The Resurrection Fact or Fiction. And she said, I'd like to have that little track if I can. And she pointed out the letter Y. She said, my husband's got dementia. She said, he's had dementia for a year or so. Uh, we're in our 60s. It takes me over an hour by public transport to go and see him to get to where he is. I go three times a week. He doesn't know who I am, as far as I can tell. And where he is, where he's staying, they did some medical tests on him recently, and they thought they were telling me good news when I turned up the other day and they said we've done some tests on your husband and he is going so well 
he could live for another 20 years. He said, I can't do this for another 20 years. He said, my church is really good. They give me hugs and they care, but they don't seem to understand. He's a Christian. I'm a Christian. I just need to know again that it's true. I'm just empty within. How do you know it's true? Irrespective of how you feel. Irrespective of your journey. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. They can't take that away from you. That's our foundation. And so the women go, we see, they go to the tomb. Um, on their way in verse 3, they get there and they find the stone is rolled away. Extraordinary. If you've been to the garden tomb in Jerusalem or if you've been in that area, you'll know that you know, these are stones of a ton or so. Who rolled it away? And thanks, John, they go into the tomb, and when they go into the tomb and have a look around, the women go into the tomb, and what do they see? They see it's empty, and they see a guy in white speaking to them. And a guy in white, of course, always is known as an angel in Scripture, and he tells them that he is risen. So we've got those slides, mate. There you go. The tomb is empty. In they go. And look what happens when they go in. This is the tomb that you'll see. That's from the garden tomb. Where they would have laid the body, there's nothing there. Where they would have laid the garments, that's where they see the garments folded up. The tomb is empty. That's how we know. That's how we know. He's risen. Historically, it took place. And no one has been able to give an explanation for the empty tomb. But beyond that, they were witnesses. In fact, if you go to Paul 1 Corinthians 15, he says, not only, by the way, Paul 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 5 is an early creedal statement that the church was saying two or three years after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. Christ died, buried, rose again according to the scriptures for forgiveness of sin, and then he appeared to Peter, then he appeared to 12, then he appeared to 500, he appeared to the disciples, many of whom are still alive. It's like you saying, you know, this is the phone book, go and check it out. Or in today's world, this is the app. This is the yellow page app in your you know, computer or system. Go and check it out. Here are the people, here are the names. Go and check it out. By the way, did you ever think why they gave you the name Joseph Arimathea? The one who buried Jesus? Arimathea is a small little town. Joseph, of course, was a member of the Sanhedrin, reading council. That's like saying, and by the way, the person who did this is Ross Clifford of Macquarie Park. They're giving you checkable details. No one does that if they're trying to make a fake story. He's risen. So what? The world's most dangerous idea. This story finishes, this story finishes with the women in fear and trembling. Now, one of the reasons they'd be fear and trembling, because people knew from those days that the Messiah and the resurrection equaled judgment. Go to Acts chapter 17. How will we know this? You, you will face judgment because the one who will be the judge has been raised from the dead, Paul says to the Greeks. So when you see a Messiah and judgment, your mind, a Messiah and resurrection, because the Jews believed in the resurrection of the Messiah and the resurrection of themselves, 
when you see that, you immediately think of judgment. That's, if this guy's resurrected, judgment is coming. What about all those who don't know? What about our standing before God? And the other reason for fear and trembling, no doubt, is simply they're standing on holy ground. This is all. You know, sometimes, and quite rightly, we get very emotional about the cross of Jesus. And I'll do that Good Friday, and other times we sing and we get extremely emotional about one who is our Lord and Saviour who died for us upon the cross. But friends, we have to be as emotional about the resurrection. It's not, oh, yes, Jesus rose and that's it. No, we're only here because of it. It's the world's most dangerous idea. Death could not hold him. It's exciting. It's unbelievable. But it happened. There's a slide there from uh, Vivid a couple of years ago. Do you ever go down to Sydney to see Vivid? Well, I've kind of done it once or twice, and you kind of think, oh, do we have to do Vivid again? Well, I was picking up uh, a couple of our granddaughters from their church, and their church is uh, by the Harbour Bridge. And I'm taking them home, and Vivid is on, and it's at night. And as we're going around uh, Kirribilli, uh, we, you, know, you can see the lights on the other side of the harbour. And we're going around, and one of them said, oh, look, Papa, there's the lights, Vivid. Papa's not all that interested. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of hanging out the window saying, look at the lights. Can you see the opera house? I stopped for a moment and saw the lights. That's like us. Have we lost the awe? Have we lost the excitement? Yeah. Yeah. Have we lost it? Oh, ho hum, let's just keep driving. No, stop. Yeah. He's risen. <laughs> 61 years. If you want another 60, that will be in your hearts and in your minds. I'm a bit of a um, C.S. Lewis fan. And if you are, you'll know the uh, stories he writes uh, in the Narnia tales, etc. And uh, here you'll see Aslan the lion. You'll know Aslan the lion died for the sins of the boy. Then he's resurrected and takes them into Narnia. And of course, C.S. Lewis, a very committed Christian, and through those stories, he's telling you the gospel. But there's a wonderful little encounter where Prince Aspian turns to Lucy and, uh, and uh, says, Aslan has a message. And the message is, he's gone before us. Follow. We don't know where it will lead, but follow. And that's what we hear in verses 7 and 8. This one who is the world's most dangerous idea, this one who is the victory march, this one who goes before us is the one who calls in a whole new community, a whole new way of being. He calls in the first day of the week people. This one goes before us and he says, oh, you don't know what lays before you. You don't know. You don't want to know what ministry opportunities, what health situations, what family situations, what ministry situations. You don't know what lays before you. But you follow me. Because I'm the Lord of the universe. I'm the resurrected one. I bring you peace. 
and you are my children, you are the first day of the week people at Doyleson Baptist Church. God bless you, and may the next 60 odd years if we prayed continue with the Lord Jesus, who is the one who transforms everything. Amen.